Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 115. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thank you so much for all of your support. If it wasn't for you, this show wouldn't even be possible. So if you can, make sure you're spreading the word. Let people know about this show. Tell a friend, a family, a coworker. Let them know what you think about this show. And if you've got the time, please, three to five minutes, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher. Let me know what you think about the show. Leave a rating and review. It does so much to help uh, visibility of the show. Keeps us front and center in iTunes and helps me to continue to let me build this audience as large as we can. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I've also got a brand new podcast out there. It's called the Courageous Leadership Podcast. It's not an interview podcast like this one. It's just me for about 10 to 15 minutes. I try to do it daily. We talk about um, some leadership tip or tactic that helps you become a more authentic and courageous leader. So again, go check it out, Courageous Leadership Podcast, and, and let me know what you think about this one. Again, thanks so much for your support, and here's the interview. Well, what a pleasure it is to have Tim Elmore. He's the founder and president of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. Through Growing Leaders, Tim has, uh, and his team provide public schools, state universities, and corporations with the tools they need to help develop young leaders who, in- who can impact and transform society. His Growing Leaders team trains middle school, high school, and college students with the skills they need to become authentic leaders. He's spoken to more than 350,000 students, faculty, and staff on hundreds of campuses across the United States. He's written more than 25 books, including the best-selling Habitude, Images that Form Leadership Habits and Attitudes, Artificial Maturity, Generation Y, Life-Giving Mentors, and Nurturing the Leader Within Your Child. For more than 25 years, Tim has worked with leadership expert Dr. John Maxwell, before he launched Growing Leaders. Tim, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thanks, Richard. Great to be with you today. Well, I'm excited, and um, and I'm curious a little bit how you became so passionate about leadership. Where did it all start for you? Well, um, in 1983, I went on staff with John Maxwell in San Diego, California. My, my, um, I, I met him when I was a college student, and I was finishing up my college degree in the early 80s, but uh, my mom and dad were connected to John and Margaret both. And uh, I came back and met John, and he said, "If you, he said, if I had a position open when you're done with college, would you, would you come on staff?" And it took me about five seconds to think about that one. So um, I went on staff with John in '83, and really under his leadership, while I had a heart for the next generation and equipping young people to think and act like authentic leaders. My love for leadership really mushroomed under Dr. Maxwell, you can imagine. So um, uh, really what Growing Leaders is about today is really marrying those two passions of mine, the next generation and, and leader development. Well, it's obvious. I can see if you've worked with the with the man directly how it can have such a huge impact. You know, when I went through my training in August, and of course I followed Maxwell for years in his books. But when I got around people who, who've known him intimately, and you're about the fourth person I've interviewed that's worked directly with, with Dr. Maxwell, and everybody has said that there isn't anybody who is who walks the walk and talks the talk more authentically and genuinely as he. Do you have the same experience with him? 
Absolutely. What John is on the platform is precisely who he is off the platform. I mean, he's he's zany, he's hilarious, and yet very, very genuine. I mean, in fact, when when I was on staff with him, we had a little phrase we we all used. We took our work very seriously, but we didn't take ourselves very seriously. Right. So, you know, laughter is just such a great lubricant to, you know, the, just the tough times you always go through in an organization. And John just, he, he made it fun as we developed people and um, yeah I definitely drank the Kool-Aid I got bit by the virus yeah. and and, uh, and really what I was doing during the 80s and 90s was watching John take leader development to corporate America to to pastors to you know established leaders and I kept asking myself the question what would happen if we got this to the kids yeah you know to the kid who's not 38 but 18 you know freshman in college and trying to figure out life might I be able to help him or her avoid the mistakes, the, the, you know, the, the bad mistake that ruined the profit margin or ruined his marriage or whatever. So, so in many ways, what I'm trying to do at Growing Leaders is what John has done with the John Maxwell Company and with Equip, and that's just taking it to the next generation. Um, I like to use the phrase, Richard, let's build a fence at the top of the cliff rather than a hospital at the bottom. Oh, let's yeah. get it right the first time. And uh, so that's what we're hoping to do at, at our organization. Well, you know, great point. And that, and that was the whole reason when I, when I came across your website and found out what you're doing, I was so intrigued because you don't see a lot of people doing that. And, and one thing I want to share with you, and um, another friend of mine who does leadership speaking and development, and we were talking about this one time, and and he and I have both had the same experiences, and we've talked to um, high school and college age uh, kids and young adults, and we've been amazed at how often people have come up to us after we talked about it and said, "Wow, no one has talked to us about leadership in this way before." And to us, it seems so. Wow, yeah. this is it's so common sense. What do you mean they're not talking about it? And it's true. So talk to me about that. You just don't see that in um, kind of high school and college education about common sense leadership, do we? Absolutely. You're spot on. And I know you don't claim to be thinking about this all the time, but I, I, I actually believe that in many ways the school systems, and by the way, you need to know teachers are my heroes. Faculty members are heroes. But in many ways school systems are, are injecting an anti-leadership vaccine. Mm. And I, I, I want to be very careful here, and, and I don't mean to be politically incorrect. I don't think anybody's trying to do this, but in an age of tolerance and political correctness and everybody's equal, which is all right and good, it almost prevents students from doing something that does stand out. Blend in is the cry, not stand out. Um, so so we, we get this uh, this notion that we're just supposed to be the same, and, and I think the cry of our world now is for people to stand out, to say, I think I could solve that, that cancer or that AIDS problem or that, uh, that pandemic that's ha- taking place in Africa. So we're trying to help students. In fact, quite simply, Richard, we always say, students, here's where leadership begins for you, solving problems and serving people, mm. solving problems and serving people. Now, it, it goes way beyond that, but it starts there. And if we can give students a predisposition to think that way, then you don't even need a title or a badge. Forget the position. Uh, we think leadership has less to do with a position and more to do with a disposition. It's a way of looking at life and seeing the big picture and, 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 and scratching an itch. So that's what we're trying to do with the thousands of schools and organizations we work with, is starting with that predisposition that is almost the opposite of what, what they might hear in the classroom. I know. Isn't that crazy? So, and, it's, and what you said is, yeah. is so um, subtly succinct but very powerful. And, you know, uh, solving problems and serving others is at the heart of it. Yeah. And you're right. We don't, we, don't, <laughs> we don't intentionally talk about it with it 
in you and I were talking, you, you know, kind of what's the demographic of this audience? And, and I said, it tends to be, you know, people that are above the age of 30. And, um, you know, a lot of the people that are in my masterminds and in coaching and they're like, ah, they're at this point. And I'm the same way. I look at how I did not intentionally look, or at least my, my, um, perception about what leadership was was so skewed when I was compared to what it is now and uh, I just love that you're trying to how'd you say it build a fence at the top instead of a what what was the hospital hospital to bottom bottom? yeah Yeah, I think that's great well we uh, we're we're exactly the same way in fact my story is probably a little bit like yours leadership wasn't even a category in my head when I was in school I mean I wanted to make a difference and you know make the world a better place and earn a good living but but getting around Dr. Maxwell at 23 years old, or 22 years old, really, it was when I first met him, and then seeing that this way of viewing things makes me better at whatever I do. If I'm a doctor who knows how to lead, I'm a better doctor. If I'm a businessman that knows how to lead, I'm a better businessman, a nurse, a teacher. So we're just trying to give this... And by the way, we don't think leadership is about power. We're not promoting, mm, right. hey, students, go get as much power and money as you can. We're saying, no, 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 just the opposite. Choose to serve and add value. And in the process, you'll probably gain power. You'll probably get some <laughs> right. influence right. because you're adding value to other people. So, um, again, it's a little different, but we think this is what we've got to do with with the emerging generation, where we can still mold them and shape them in school. So, how's it going? So, how you've been doing this for a while? Um, what are what are the successes? Yeah. What are the challenges? Well, um, the good news is we're we have a very receptive group. I think people realize there is a vacuum uh, in the space we're in, and so we're now partnering with a little over seven thousand schools, universities, uh, organizations, nonprofits, corporations. Any corporation that has the next generation working for them, enterprise, Chick-fil-A, fast food restaurants, they, they, um, you know, they would, we would be their people. Um, and what we often do when we go into an organization is we help them just really, um, really dissect and exegete who, who is here and what's the gap. I'm doing a lot of talks, in fact, Richard, these days on generational diversity. Mm. We know what ethnic diversity is and gender diversity. But I think there's generational diversity. I think there's four generations working in many companies. I agree. And it is a gap, you, you know? So um, with this generation – by the way, the book that I wrote um, – I, I did a couple books on this, but the book that I wrote that really addresses this is the Generation IY book. Um, we have been reading, you and I and others, about Generation Y for, for at least a decade now, since the year 2000. Um, but I think the second half of the generation is even different than the first half. I think there's been a shift even within a generation. So we call the kids born since 1990 Generation IY, mm. not just Generation Y, because of the impact of the I world. I chat, I Macs, I pads, I phones, I tunes, I iPads. Interesting. And, and quite, yeah, it is. Well, and quite frankly, if I can just share some numbers with you, it, there, it's, life is pretty much about I. These are not bad kids or stupid kids or, or anything like that. They're not wicked. But we've created a very self-absorbed generation by the way we parented and taught. Um, and so we don't think that's selfish, but self-absorbed. And so we're attempting to build a student that, that does see the bigger picture, that the world is so far bigger than they are, and that actually they were created to be a part of something way bigger than them. So we feel like we've done some good when we can at least bring them to that point. 
even if they don't become the CEO of a company, right. they're, they're going to be better people in general. Well, it's interesting you brought that up. In fact, literally just before this this interview, I was ta- we, me and my wife were talking about one of my daughters who's 14, so she would be in that um, – what, what was the year? Yeah. She's the IY. Nine, post-1990. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so we were ta- – we in and uh, – and I love all my kids, and, and it's difficult to say, you know, and I don't mean this in a favorite, but of, of all my kids, I think if, if someone's going to, the ability to do like something just, I sense it in my bones, something great, it's it's her, it's my 14 yeah. year old. Yeah. And she's got these great leadership qualities and all those other things that, you know, and, and, and you know, as a parent, you, you see these things and it's frustrating when they don't see it in themselves, right? I think that's a, right, right. All parents go through that. But we were talking specifically about that with her peer group and they just seem so, and that's the exact words we use, we're self-absorbed and they're talking about this yeah. and they're talking about that. And I'm like, gosh, if you really, do you understand how much of an impact you can make about all these things that you're um, kind of complaining about the world and society and how unjust <laughs> and all that other stuff, do you realize the best solution to all that is just dive into leadership and lift other people up and then um, that's what they don't seem to get i guess and uh, anyway i digress yeah. but it was funny that you talked because we were literally just having a conversation about that Maybe yeah well this is unfortunately true about the tens of millions of young adults now certainly when they're children they're going to be a little self-absorbed that's what kids sure, are right but, right but as they move into their adolescent years uh, we're just finding that they often richard stay in adolescence well into their 20s i have actually lost count of the number of university deans that have said to me, 26 is the new 18. Really? And you follow that. In other words, what we once expected at 18, you're a man now, let's take initiative, let's take responsibility. It's not happening maybe at 26 and maybe even later. And I think we just enabled them. They're not bad. They're, they're capable of more. This is a compliment to them. You are so capable of more than we're expecting of you. And yet you're lost on Twitter and Facebook when 100 years ago, an adolescent was working the farm, you know, leading armies, you know, getting married right. at 19. Right. And I'm not saying we need them all to do that. I'm just saying it's in them to do more than just get lost on social media. So we're simply calling them out to be the best version of themselves as as young adults. Yeah, the, the, at the risk of two uh, middle-aged men sounding like old fogies, but I agree. <laughs> yeah, with, I, yeah. I know what you're saying, and you're exactly right. And, and I've, I've talked about this before. I remember... Uh, you put things in perspective and I try to teach and show kids that like, what were you doing when you were 17? And there was a, a world war II vet, an Iwo Jima Marine vet that I was friends with. And you know, he lied about his age to get in the Marine Corps when he was 16, yeah, yeah. he was 16 and he was storming the beaches. He was 17 when he was storming the beaches of Iwo Jima and he got shot. And I'm like, man, what was I doing? When I was 17, you know, <laughs> we were on Pac-Man or something, right? <laughs> you know, Gosh, yeah. dang. But yeah, anyway, it's I digress. So but but uh, no, that's it's outstanding that you're doing that. I just, you know, and uh, what is the reception, I guess, when you've taught, you've, you've spoken to a lot of major universities yeah. and, and campuses. What is the reception? I'm curious to know how do they respond after they hear uh, the message that you're that you're talking about? Well, it's it's generally good. And, and what we've had to do that I did not do as much when I worked with Dr. Maxwell was we really have to be research-based. Uh, and that's not to say that John wasn't, but, you know, working with academic institutions like Stanford right, or Duke yeah. or, or, or Ohio State or whatever, we've got to have research behind what we do. So I'll often lead, like if I'm doing a faculty meeting or a staff meeting, I'll lead with research. This is the need of the hour in students. By that time, when I do that, most of them are nodding their heads saying, yes, this is so true. We need to help these kids. And then I'm able to... Uh, to um, suggest some tools. Um, and by the way, we're obviously not the only one 
answering this cry. But but our most our most wildly popular tool that schools have embraced is one you just mentioned in the introduction. It's habitudes. Habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. It's a way of teaching timeless, universal principles of leadership in life, but with the power of a picture. So while Dr. Maxwell had the 21 laws of leadership, we're saying here are several images. And because this is such a visual generation, um, we think that a picture is worth a thousand words, so visuals or images lead to conversations that lead to experiences, which is what changes their life. So... Um, in fact, uh, Richard, not to digress too much here, but we think this emerging generation is EPIC in nature, E-P-I-C, and we believe EPIC stands for their experiential, meaning they're not looking for a sage on the stage with a, yeah, with a lecture, yeah, right. darn it, <laughs> but they are looking for, I think, a guide on the side with an experience. Hmm. So the more that a, a dad or a teacher or a coach or an employer, for that matter, can create an environment or an experience from which they teach, they'll have, have a young leader. Um, the letter P in EPIC reminds me, they're participatory, which simply means they've grown up in a world where they've been able to participate in the outcomes of where everything goes. We've asked them to vote on everything, to have a say. They can hardly watch a reality TV show without voting on who stays on the show next week. Right. So we're simply saying, can we give a sense of ownership to them by giving them a little bit of a, a piece of the action, a little piece of the, of the, of the, uh, the outcome? Um, in fact, something I say to um, both employers and faculty all the time is this. Students support what they help create. Yeah. So again, we try to help them, you know, help the students create it. The letter I in Epic reminds me they're image rich. They have grown up with visuals. Um, I mean, I grew up with TV. They grew up with MTV. You know, even the music had pictures to it. Right. So how can we be more visual? And how can we use metaphors to anchor what we're trying to say? Uh, we're talking to employers across the country using metaphors, and the right brain is so much more effective than a big list and the left brain. Um, and then finally, letter C in Epic, they're connected. They're yeah. connected both socially as well as technologically. So if we've got a group of 25 young people, how can we break it perhaps into groups of five, five groups of five, and give them a well-crafted question or two, and let them wrestle with it and connect with each other and talk out, think out loud? Uh, we just believe, again, ownership happens more when they get to come up with the discoveries themselves rather than us just telling them what the answer is. So probably more information than you wanted to know, but we just feel like we've got to create resources that are epic. And when we do, generally speaking, a school goes, holy smokes, we need that, because this is not what we're doing right now. They're sitting passively in a classroom, you know, lecture, drill, test, and and it's just not connecting with, with most students. So no, anyway. I, I'm that I love that you shared all that, and I agree with you. I think one thing that I, I'm, you know, at times I get, um, worried and scared about the future of where it's going. But at the same time, too, the more that I've done this podcast, and I've mentioned this in a, in a handful of interviews I've done on this show and some of the guests, we've talked about this. We've talked about this millennial generation. And and then and the more that I've done this podcast, and I've had a lot of folks on the show that are in that kind of um, mm-hmm. millennial area, and I get encouraged because um, the ones that do um, – and they don't, and I don't even say that they grab onto the leadership piece, but they grab onto, or or they they understand that they they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. I think more than my generation yeah. did. My generation yeah. seems to be like, yeah, you do this, you you know, you get a good education. It's all about the kind of the technical ability. Um, mm-hmm. 
it seems to be the high schoolers, even the middle schoolers now that I've, and I speak from my friends of my kids and, and even uh, yeah. people a little bit older than that, the college kids that some of them I've interviewed on the show, they seem to be really tapped into wanting doing something bigger than themselves. I think that is encouraging. What, what is your thoughts on that? Absolutely. In fact, I just did a blog post recently on this. I, I talk to employers in the post and I say, there's three big ideas you need to understand to lead this the next generation well. Uh, it's it's external, excuse me, um, it's intrinsic, extrinsic, and altruistic. Uh, the intrinsic stuff you need to know is that um, they want to feel like what they do is that it matters. Uh, in fact, you right. need to know they value time, maybe even more than money. Sometimes they want flexibility, you know, those kinds of things. Externally, they want to... Um, they want to get feedback often. Sometimes you even have to micromanage at first just to make sure they're getting enough feedback. But the altruistic thing is what you're talking about now, that they really want to feel like what they do is changing the world in yeah. some way. And even if it's making widgets, we've got to connect the big picture vision with the widget making they're doing on Tuesday. And if we can, we'll have their hearts. And if we have their hearts, we have their hands. And, and so... But we've got to do that. We can't lead them the way we do boomers or Xers. It's just it's just not going to work. No, and I, you're right. And that altruistic part is is what I think is where the real real power is. Because yeah. if you get young people understanding that this is about creating a life of significance, um, man, you're well on your way to being unstoppable and solve, solving a lot of the problems. I believe. Because yeah. I think what you know, you and I were talking about, and a lot of the people I work with on the coaching and masterminds, and, and it's like we've come to the leadership journey late. And yeah. you know, if there's any if there's any poster boy for building a hospital, it was me. You know, and I think that the, and, <laughs> and a lot of people that I've worked with, and, and man, we did build a hospital. You know, we didn't even have a fence yeah. up in the first yeah. place. You know, and we were kind of going on autopilot and. Gosh, you know, if you could just get people to understand what their true purpose, their why is, and if you get a middle schooler or a high schooler and thinking that they can change the world, man, I think that that's where a lot of our, our yeah, our that's where our hope lies. No, yeah. no doubt about it. And and that is a, a a fundamental difference from the self-absorption we talked about earlier right. that they may slip into unless an adult comes along and says, "Here's something way bigger," and then say, "Now it's going to take a sacrifice, but it's worth it." Um, I, I love what Dan Pink writes on this. I don't know if you read any of Dan Pink's I have, works, yeah. but mm-hmm. he, he did, he's done a number of books. One of them was Drive, The Surprising Things That Motivate People. And he talks about the whole idea of autonomy, mystery, and purpose. And he basically says that in workplaces, we have to move from the carrot and stick model of motivation, mm-hmm. you know, where here's a carrot, it's a reward if you do well, here's more money, or a stick, I'm going to slap you if you don't do well. Uh, that's motivating, but it's it's not, um, it's not motivating in the highest form right. of motivation. And the whole idea of purpose, that people want to feel like that what I'm doing absolutely makes a difference, as cliche as that sounds. Now we've got motivation. And by the way, I think that motivates way better than money, absolutely even though we all does. want to make good money. When I get their heart, by the way, that's why people volunteer for nonprofit organizations. You're absolutely They're not right. getting paid a dime to do that. That's right. But they want to do something they feel like this makes a difference. So anyway. Yeah, no, and I've, people listening to the show know that I've, I've said this before too, but I, you know, I'm coming from the Marine Corps. Why is the Marine Corps so successful at what they do? It's, yeah. People don't join the Marine Corps because of the money opportunities. Yeah. Everybody you talk to and you ask them, why did you join? Why did you become a part of it? 
they, almost invariably at some point someone's going to say, I just wanted to be part of something bigger than myself, you know, something special. Yeah. And that's why in the Marine Corps focuses on that. They focus on the history of the tradition and they, they say, look, you are in this lineage of all this legacy. And um, if businesses did that, if families did that, you know, I don't know. Oh, my. You know? Huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what do you think some of the biggest, um, I don't know, what do you think some of the biggest challenges for leadership are? Not only just for the millennial, we've been talking a lot about that, but just in general, what do you think the biggest leadership challenge in facing all of us leaders today are? Or is, I guess, the biggest challenge? Well, um, let me share a couple of thoughts with you, Richard, and then you can kind of volley back with whatever you want to. Um, when I think about the next generation, um, a couple of things come to mind. One is that many, many students today, uh, while they want to make a difference, they, they don't want to do it um, if it requires perhaps taking a stand alone. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, let me give you an example. So in many university campuses, uh, you know, the residence life staff will say, hey, we're recruiting RAs for the next year. And many of the students will go, well, I don't want to do it alone. Can I do it with my friends? Now, there's nothing evil about that, but, but but I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. The whole point of leadership is that you're willing to go first, you know, and not just blend in and do it with a bunch of people. Um, I've actually talked to um, construction companies where the contractor, the general contractor will go, I just had a, um, an opening for, a, for an employee, and I had an entire fraternity show up, guys mm-hmm. from a fraternity. And he said, hire us together. We want to work together. Oh, and he's going, I need one. I don't need 17, you know. But, again, these are just pictures of there's, there's a sense of, um, you know, leadership is going to require that you stand alone sometimes and, and go first sometimes. That's the definition of being a leader. You, you're not going second. Otherwise, you're a follower. And um, we're finding a lot of times that many of these students don't want to do it unless they get consensus on Facebook or something. And so we, we've got to build that, that challenge of signing up and saying, even if no one goes with me, I've got to do what's right. That's huge. So that's a nut we need to crack. Here's another one, though. You and I just talked about um, kind of a, I don't know, an, an informal definition of leadership, but it's really about you know, making a difference and leverage your influence for a worthwhile cause. Maxwell always says leadership is influence. Um, a lot of times I hear someone say, well, wait, 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 wait. In that sense, you're saying we're all leaders. And I say, absolutely. Right. And they say, well, for all leaders, who's following? Um, so here's another that we need to crack. Is, is What are we really talking about? I think when someone says, if everyone's a leader, then who's following? Um, that's assuming they have a very traditional definition leadership, that it's a position at the top of the flow chart, you know, there's one leader and all the rest of our peons, you know, underneath little boxes on the chart, and um, I have a whole other view of this. Let me give you my view real quick. See if this makes sense. To ask the question, if everyone's leading, then who's following, would be similar to walking into a shopping mall and asking the question, well, if everybody's selling, who's buying? Well, we're all selling and we're all buying. Right. You sell shoes. I need shoes. I have shirts. You need shirts. We're all influencing in different ways. So the cool thing is, if leadership's done well, it's really not about a badge. It's about where are we most gifted? Where, where are our strengths? Where is our natural influence? And then, quote, unquote, selling that. And I don't mean that literally, but I mean leveraging that to improve the world, knowing that I'm going to need someone else to do that for me in another category. So I think if we can convince 
the educational world and the student body, the, the 80 million Gen Y kids out there, that really you're going to be leading and following both all the time. But what we've got to master, once we master following, is how, in what area do I naturally influence? Where's my greatest, where's the best version of me coming out and then playing that card for all it's worth? And that's what we're trying to get get students to do. Oh, I love that. I love that um, that insight that you shared. And, and I can't agree with you more. One of the things I used to, and I still do occasionally, but especially when I worked in the hotel industry and I used to uh, talk to my property managers about leadership and I would ask them at the beginning of the class, I said, how many of you consider yourselves leaders? And maybe mm-hmm. in a group, uh, maybe 30 people were in it, maybe one or two would, you know, yeah. these usually the type A that, of course I do, you know, and, and then <laughs> then I, I asked the question, how many of you are a parent? And, you know, maybe 80% of them raise their hand. How many of you are an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister? You know, and then yep. we're all, and the point is we're all obligated to lead is what you're saying. We all have a leadership obligation. And yeah. at some point, yeah. whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, you're going to be called to lead. So you better figure out what it means. And you're right. It's not about the position, the title, the traditional hierarchical sense. And so I love what yeah. you just said. That's It's absolutely true. And what's amazing, if you can crack the nut too, and I'll just carry that one step further. If you, In my opinion, if you can crack the nut on, on first of all, getting people to understand that leadership is for everyone and you've got an obligation to do it and what you in that we all at some point are leading and and finding out what our, our talent is. But if you can, the real emerging strong leaders in the sense of the ones that understand, okay, I'm going to surround myself with even better leaders and develop other leaders, mm-hmm. that's when the significance really starts to kick in, I guess. That's something I learned probably too late, that instead of trying to build followers, what do I do if I start to surround myself with other leaders around me and develop other leaders? That's when the significance really starts to change, I think. Absolutely. And, and I, starting in, my, in the 1980s, have begun that journey every single year. In fact, what I do in January, I'll do this in January this next year, um, is I sit down and review my last year. What were the, what were the, uh, the, the goals that I met? Uh, you know, what, what's my status? What, what did I accomplish? What I wanted to accomplish? But then at that point, I actually choose five or six areas that I want to grow in the next year. And then I will choose resources and people that are going to help me grow in those areas. Right. So I have six mentors, six leaders that are further along than I am in the six areas that I chose for this year. And I meet with them. I take them to breakfast. I have a pad of questions. They become mentors for me. And um, I always grow from those times together. But again, I'm certainly leading a bunch of people, and I, 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 want, I love that. But but I'm always putting people in my life, just like you just mentioned, yep. that are stretching me, that are making me better, so that I naturally will influence a greater volume and variety of people under me. I think it's the, what you're hitting on there. It's this intent. It's the intentionality for growth and leadership, and I think that yeah. is what we all learned late in life. And if the kids can understand, look, it is about being intentional. When's the last time you sat yeah. down? And, you know, and ask the question, when's the last time you sat down for five minutes and talked about where your life is going or thought about where your life is going? Most, yeah. Most of us are on autopilot. And I know kids are. And I guess yeah, to, absolutely. And I guess to your point, the schools aren't really teaching that intentionality is, is what you're getting at. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Told, I guess you and I were even told. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm sorry. I was just going to say you're right. In fact, schools 
um, are often victims of the of the system they're a part of. It's teaching for the next test. We got to make sure our test scores are up to get the funding. And so instead of intentionality about really helping the students learn and and find these ways of living, it's we just got to you know make it till Friday and nobody gets hurt you know type of thing. Right. And and we actually we actually have a habitude for that, Richard. We call it the starving baker. And the starving baker is simply the baker that spends so much time baking bread for others, they forget to eat and starve themselves. Mm. And that's the occupational hazard of leadership, yeah. is I'm, I'm doing stuff for others all the time, which is good, but I'm not potentially feeding myself to make sure I'm fresh when I do it tomorrow, or next year, or next decade. So we, we just got to... we gotta avoid the starving baker syndrome. Oh, I love that. What a great, uh, what other visuals, I was going to ask you on that, what are some other visuals that you share with with, uh, your audiences to to drive the point home? Well, they're so simple, but you'll see immediately why they've been so so viral. Um, Another one that I love, in fact, it's my favorite one, is called Rivers and Floods. And it's this really cool photograph of this flood, just flooding these homes. Um, and, and here's what we teach. Rivers and floods are both bodies of water. But after that, the comparison ends. It's all contrast. Floods are water going in every direction all at once right. and often doing damage. Rivers, on the other hand, are water flowing in a single direction because they have banks to them. And even if it's a wide river, like the Mississippi River, it's still flowing in one direction. And if you use them right, rivers can be very helpful. Right. You can use it to light up a city. You can you get in a boat and float down the river and use it for transportation. We simply say rivers and floods always reminds me of the power of focus and vision. Oh, I love that. And we have, yeah, we have come to see that most organizations at the beginning of the year, let's say, their rivers, because they have a very clear objective that year, over time, opportunities pop up, distractions arise, options you know, surface, and pretty soon what was once flowing is now flooding. We're five miles wide and one inch deep. That's most Americans today, right? You know, we're floods rather than rivers. Right. So anyway, a, a simple visual, but boy, you know what? It becomes language. Uh, in our own office, we'll go river and flood, <laughs> and immediately we'll know, oh, yep, I know, <laughs> I know what that means. That means we probably ought to say no to that opportunity because it doesn't fit our river. Right. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's just, it's... Um, there's four habitude books, by the way, and each of the four have themes. Every one of the books has 13 images in it, and every one of the images revolves around this theme. So, book one, Richard, is all about the art of self-leadership. Like you, we believe you got to start leading yourself before you lead anybody else. Right. So, once students begin to master that discipline, character, time management, then we take them to book two, which is the art of connecting with others. How do leaders do relationships? How do we get things done through personal power, not positional power? And then book three is the art of leading others. Now, I do have a leadership role. How do I do this? And then book four is the art of changing culture. Mm. How do I change organizational culture? And how do I change the culture around me? If it's not healthy, how do I make it healthy? So in many ways, book one is micro, book four is macro. But um, we just found that whether you're seven or 70, pictures seem to stick, and it seems to be a language that helps you, you know, transmit leader, leader development very, very rapidly with people. Oh, I'm excited. I need to check these things out. I mean, I don't know. This is just exciting stuff. I could talk to you for hours, my friend. You are... <laughs> well, vice versa. I te- you know, I, I treat all my interviews like kids. I, ask, I get asked what was my favorite one, and 
like I said, I treat them like my kids. But in private, there are some that are, I'm not so proud of, and some are great. I got to tell you, this is you're one of my favorite guys to talk to, and and I say that unabashedly and unashamedly. So I thank you so much for sharing everything that you have. And, um, looking at the clock here, I'm running up against the. Coming to the end, but I'd love to have you back on the show if you're if you're willing. That there's some things I'd like to absolutely f- theme things that we could explore, and maybe as I and I need to read more of your books, and maybe we can uh, talk about some certain things if you're willing to come back. That would be fun. I would enjoy that. Where where can how can we help you? What can uh, what can we do to help uh, promote your cause? And where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, well, a couple things I would say. One is first of all, if you just want to find out about us. Um, our website is very, very simple. Our organization is called Growing Leaders, and our website is simply growingleaders.com. Uh, and there's a lot of free stuff on the site as well as um, resources like Habitudes that you can purchase. But, Richard, there's one other thing that might be great for those who are listening that just have a heart for leadership and for the next generation. We just started a foundation, the Growing Leaders Foundation. And what we're doing is we're raising money for schools that couldn't afford mm. these habitudes, for instance. But they, but somebody at the school knows they need them. But they're maybe an, they have they're full of at-risk kids, or it's an underfunded school in South Georgia or Louisiana or whatever. And so, um, if anybody wanted to just say, I'd like to give a little bit of money to help a school that could not afford this, or a student that could not afford this, we would so welcome anybody. We don't want anybody to feel pressure, but if you, if that would just um, be something that would fit your heart, we would love people to um, find us at Growing Leaders, the Growing Leaders Foundation, or just go into Growing Leaders and you can link over, but that, that would be amazing. Well, I'll have links to all this, and I'll definitely check it out. I mean, um, I love what you're doing. Um, you're doing real leadership work. You, you're walking the walk. You're not just... Uh out there trying to sell anything. You're doing real leadership work, and I appreciate what you're doing, and I'm so thankful that you came on the show today, and I'm so glad that uh, you're in my network now. Thanks, Richard. Vice versa. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.